Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to another Modernizer Die CFML News Edition. We're streaming live on YouTube and coming to your earbuds via podcast players everywhere. So I'm Gavin Pickin, a software consultant for Auto Solutions, and my other guest host today is Brad Wood. I was thinking, what if we started the podcast one day and like the camera comes on and you're like eating a bowl of cereal and I'm like shaving and we're like, oh, oh, we're live. <laughs> I mean, don't tell anybody we're going to do it. I just think it come go across real well. Yeah, so we probably shouldn't have said that. Oh, well, next idea. We gave it away. The secrets. Yep, so uh, June 30th. Well, one of our sponsors is uh, our employer, Order Solutions. Uh, So thank you to them. Uh, They're funding this podcast, making it possible. And so the best thing about... uh, Water Solutions is we offer a lot of great open source products, um, but we do make some money by offering live trainings. And this month, well, actually, I guess next month, July, we have two live workshops that are available. Uh, you can sign up now. One of them is going to be Cold Box Zero to Hero, led by myself. And then two weeks later, Luis Mahano, uh, the box creator himself, will be teaching a, a Cold Box Hero to Superhero API edition. So those two trainings are available. You can sign up on the Order Solutions site, and we'll give you more information about them coming up here. Now, the other way to get great content from us uh, is cfcast.com, which now has our subscriptions available. So we've got lots of great content there. Um, and basically it'll be a, a great way to get um, all of our content um, we've got our webinars on there our conferences on there and other content as we uh, send out so hopefully you guys can check out CFCast CFCast is pretty exciting I know that Eric had that idea like a thousand years ago based on the Lorecast stuff and he kind of like had it put together just kind of sitting around and we never launched it and so our end of the box videos was a, a perfect opportunity to kind of get that CFCast launched and um, the subscription support is a, a big feature. I know they've been working like crazy on that, so I'm pretty excited about it. Yep, exactly. Uh, and it's support, the subscriptions are now live and we got a lot of great content and let us know if you have anything else. Okay, well, excuse me one second. I think we have a fan problem, so I'm going to quickly try and take care of that. So, Brad, you want to tell us a little bit about Patreon support? Um, I can. Yeah, it just sounds like the fans hitting your microphone. So our Patreon support is at the uh, 48% mark for fully funding all of our Modernizer Die podcast. <gasps> Gavin's gone. Uh, via our Patreon site. So if you um, are not a, uh, a Patreon, get the link here. You can go over to um, patreon.com slash order solutions, and you can help support our podcast um, every month, which means that we'll say your lovely name at the end of the podcast and um, you guys can help make this show a success. So 48%. Let's keep moving that bar. Gavin's back. Yep. Sorry about that. Uh, did some work on my office and I moved my desk and of course it's right under the ceiling fan now. So perfect <laughs> position for lots of static. So I apologize for that. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's cleared up now. Cool. Well, let's get into some news and events. So let's do it. So there was a tweet this last week by Mingo Hagen about CFML Slack, which is now five years old. Can you believe dun, that? Dun, 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 dun. That's, That's older than cool. some languages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, entire programming languages have been created since we've had our CFML Slack. Yeah. Um, you know, it's crazy. Thirty-five hundred plus members, um, which I mean, is is still probably a drop in the bucket of of the total number of ColdFusion developers. But out of you know people that are participate in the community. I remember when, you know, we were like, oh, 500 people. And they were like, can we get to a thousand? Whoa, what if we made it to a thousand people? You know, and then we made it to a thousand. And then it was like, you know, will we ever hit 2000? And then we hit 2000. And by the time we hit 3000, it was like, oh, oh look, that was 3000. Um, so it, it's really been amazing to watch the CFML Slack team grow over the years. A lot bigger than I think anybody ever thought it would. It sort of grew out of an old like IRC channel, I believe, that had like 50 people. <laughs> and so... 
it uh it, it's grown quite a bit past that which is pretty yeah, cool definitely reaching a lot more people now and we have one channel in there try not to overdo it with every cold fusion or uh, cold box product so if you want to get more information we actually have our own box team slack channel as well and i'm posting mm -hmm. the links there so with slack you have to be invited but we set up these heroku apps so you can just go online and basically invite yourself so the links are in the show notes so you can join the cfml slack and also the box team one if you'd like and that way you have your, a channel for each of our products and we have lots of products and lots of channels exactly so the box team one is actually run by ortis and we have kind of broken out channels for almost every single box product so if you have some real specific questions you want to dig into like quick or command box or stuff like that uh, we're all in the box team Slack one as well. So yeah, and choose your the, poison. The CFML Slack is good, but if there's five different streams going on at the same <laughs> time, it gets kind of confusing. Or if you log out for a day, come back, your conversation's gone because there's a lot of traffic in there. So yeah, it's nice th to these have a smaller are one. these are both free Slack teams, but you get a lot more history worth on the box team because there's not as much chatting going on there. Yep, exactly. So five years old going strong and i think the box team one i i think i created the box team one a few months after the cfml slack one because it started to get overloaded pretty quickly so we're like yeah it's make been our around own. for about the same amount of time yeah i would so say it's probably coming up on on five years probably in a couple of months um so cool next little news we already mentioned it briefly but cfcast the subscriptions are now live and i think we already had our uh you know first couple of people signing up for subscriptions uh, I know that uh, Tony Junkies said he signed up. So another cool thing about that is nice. we're making the content for that. So that's part of the job that we're we're doing is we're trying to get content set up for it. Obviously, we're wanting to add more and more. So if you guys got any content or features that you need, let us know because we're, we're trying to decide what's most important. You know, a lot of things get asked about our workshops. And so we're trying to do content related to that. We obviously produce webinars. We're trying to do one a month. And so we've got all those webinars on there too. But, you know, if there's something you need, let us know. And we'll, we'll try to get that, get that out there. So um, do we have a, like a Google form or something people can fill out if they have ideas for content or maybe something on the site to submit that? Um, I was actually going to talk to them about setting that up. Uh, I think there's a contact form on there. I'm not sure. Uh, oh, Eric says yes. So there should be Actually, somewhere. I think he was referring to Scott Steinbeck's question. Oh, it looks like there's also cfcast.com slash support. So, yeah, if not, let us know on uh, Twitter. There is a new Twitter account for the CFCast uh, website as well. So you can get to that from cfcast.com. So there we go. No, let us yeah, that support URL has a nice little form. Have a question or something to report. So if you have ideas, um, here we go. Uh, so it looks like we can probably add a, add a category in there, maybe. Uh, Eric, there's a little drop down of, uh, of support reasons. We should add a category called like, you know, content suggestion or something. Sweet. All right. I'm excited to see what the, what the future of CFCast has. Cool. And I guess our announcement of the box team Slack just worked because someone just signed up. So welcome. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> Very Let's quick. Let's see who it was. And uh, mentioning CFCast, uh, the webinar I did last week, which was uh, Modernal, Functional, and Fluent CFML REST APIs, is already on the CFCast website, so you can watch that there. So we recorded it last Friday on June 26th, um, but definitely go check that out. Uh, that's already available. So, And a lot of the content we're providing, like the webinars and stuff like that, are all free, but the subscription's available for the, some of the paid content. And if you went to Into the Box, you would have got a code to sign up. Then you get all the Into the Box videos for free as well. If not, you can look at getting a subscription or purchasing a package. So uh, definitely check that out. And then all the Brad screencasts on Command Box 5 are all up there as well. And we'll be we'll try and backport some of the existing content so you have one place to find it all. But we'll also be looking at adding new content. So uh, let us know. And Scott's asking for a video search. Um, yes, if you have a feature you'd like to, please you know submit that in the support form as well. I know they've got a big list of things that they're working on right now. Uh, we're making lots of progress there, so it'll get better and better. But if you got something you think you want to see there definitely add it to the support queue and then we'll, we'll get it taken care of. We're working hard to make this a, a great tool for all of our content. Sweet. Okay. So we have an Ortis webinar coming up. Um, we're still waiting to be announced on that one. So in July's okay. webinar, we don't have that um, set up just yet, 
But um, we do have some Cold Fusion meetups that Charlie's been working hard on, and he's had right. three or four in the last few weeks, and he's got two more scheduled already. So the next one's going to be with Dan Wilson. Um, nice. So blast from the past there a little bit, but he's <laughs> uh, going to be doing one saying your best options to build modern front ends with JavaScript. And so he'll talk about, you know, the dominant choices like React, Angular, and Vue.js and figuring out what, what to go over. But he's also been rea- uh, working with a couple of other projects too. He was actually a, um, was it React Native? I think he was working for them. Um, uh, that sounds about right. I know that yeah. he was definitely doing a lot of that. Yep. So he was he was working on that. So it'd be kind of interesting to see, you know, his perspective on that. And so that's going to be July 9th. So it looks like uh, July 9th for Dan Wilson. And then on July 16th, they've already got the next one. TJ Vantol is going to be doing how native mobile development changed the way I write web apps. And so mm. he's been talking about iOS and Android and how it changed the way you built web apps and stuff. Um, and so he said it was basically after an explorer returning for a multi-year safari, you know, he's got so much to share. So that sounds like an interesting talk as well. So, and then, so uh, I know Dan Wilson, but I don't think I know TJ Van Toll. I thought that name it's sounded like, familiar. It's like he wrote CF a book, Camp. jQuery UI in action. If this is the same guy. Interesting. So Charlie's in the chat, so he's giving us some extra information here. Yeah. Okay. See, Web developer, tech author, principal developer, advocate at Progress SW, works uh, on Kendo UI, previously on NativeScript, and he's a Pokemon Go enthusiast. There you go. Okay. And so Charlie said that Daniel was working in other environments. NativeScript was who he was working for. So not React Native, NativeScript which there had several versions with very similar names, so I apologize for messing that one up. But yeah, it, uh, so it looks like two good sessions. And then last week, Charlie had his session, um, Keeping CF and Java Updated Challenges and Solutions. So that one's already available on YouTube. So there's actually a playlist with, I think he said, 260 videos. So now it should be 261 with last week's session. So a lot of great nice. content over many years up on that uh, on yeah. YouTube. My so, solution for keeping Cold Fusion and Java updated is just use Command Box. <laughs> because every time you install, it's updated. You can just tell it to use the latest version, and it'll just download it whenever it comes out. Yeah. That's a short webinar. <laughs> Very cool. And so awesome. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I like uh, I like seeing the speakers that Charlie is pulling in, even if they're not uh, Cold Fusion guys or currently hardcore Cold Fusion guys. There's still some respected people with a lot of experience out there in the field, so that should create. Um, some uh some good content and it's yep. also just good to see the cold fusion meetup active again yep and there's a cold fusion meetup survey that we're going to get in the show notes as well so charlie's wanting to know more about what you want to see what you like what you don't like times etc so he's got a little uh survey out there and he'll probably post it in the chat here in a minute for us and then that will allow you guys to have some feedback on what you want to see happen with it. And so I know Charlie wants to get this going again. It's a great tool. And, you know, he's the biggest problem he had in the past was just getting speakers. So if you're thinking about speaking at conferences, this is a great way to get your feet wet. Uh, and then those conference speakers, you know, maybe you can spin out some of your old ones or test out some ideas for some new ones. Uh, I think it's a great thing to have. And, you know, every week or two, it'll be great, you know, just to get it out there um, and keep that fresh content flying. So definitely think it's good. And so if you, in case you missed Charlie's, Charlie's was uh, talking about the JVM as well as just CF as well. Uh, and, you know, talking about how Command Box was stuck on Java 8 for a while and the web connector, which usually breaks everything. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's basically basically out there uh and most people should definitely check out that charlie got a lot of great experience with uh troubleshooting so he knows all the tricks of the trade uh i bet you'll learn a lot from that okay so that's cold fusion meetup so uh we'll get that get that out there as well but we also have another couple of webinars coming up as well from this time from adobe so we have one on the API manager and architecture, understanding the what, when, and how of API manager architecture and its various components with Kailash Bahani. And that's going to be July 23rd. And then July 30th, we have an Adobe webinar, which is a bird's eye view of PMT architecture and how to harness its true potential with Nimit Sharma. 
So it looks like pretty much every week in July, there's something going on webinar wise <laughs> already. So, so yeah, so this is a, a good couple of items here. They're available on the Adobe events website and we'll post the, the links in the show notes for you there. So that pretty much wraps up the news. The state of the survey, the state of the CFT news survey is still out there. Um, Again, we're waiting on that final date. So if you haven't done it, please do. And uh, it started at the start of January. So it should be about time to wrap this thing up, I think, Brad. <laughs> Almost six months. Probably enough time for someone to fill out the survey. Uh, probably, yeah. I have to ask and see if they have an actual uh, end date set for that. But I think that uh, most people that are going to respond have probably responded. But there's a, a good number of respondents. I think it's uh, over 500 at this point, isn't it? Um. Yeah, the partial results tells you at the bottom of the page, I believe. Okay. Oh, wait, no, I clicked the link to the survey itself. Yeah. So in the chat, uh, I see you and Charlie and Scott were talking about the, how command box allows you to choose whatever JVM you want. And on the startup, it'll actually load it for you. So if you choose Java version equals open JDK 11, when you start up, it'll actually start up with that JVM. Yeah. So. yeah, you can actually even choose JDK versus JRE. You can choose 32-bit versus 64-bit. You can choose the operating system, Windows, Mac, Linux, as well as the major minor patch versions of Java. And as long as it's on the Adopt Open JDK API, which Eclipse recently acquired, we should probably mention that if it's not in your news. Um, Talk about then, it right now, and I'll add it to the news <laughs> show list. Um, yeah, so the integration that Command Box has that allows it to be able to automatically download and install JREs for your servers to use um, is all based on the Adopt Open JDK um, uh, API that they have, which they were the only um, Open JDK provider with an API, at least um, originally. And it's been interesting to see how the whole Open JDK community sort of morphed over time. Um, you know, there's, there's newer providers like Liberica. Um, that I'd never even heard of before, um, you know, last year. But anyway, the um, it's interesting. The main uh, people behind Adopt Open JDK, like um, Martin or Martin, I don't know how you say his name to be honest. Um, they work for Microsoft now, so the actual employees kind of got gobbled up by Microsoft to help them out with their um, efforts. And I think their obvious knowledge of Open JDK helped that. But the Adopt Open JDK project themselves have recently been acquired by Eclipse which is super interesting. Um, but I mean, it kind of makes sense, I guess. So Eclipse is sort of acquiring Adopt Open JDK, and they're going to be rebranding it into Eclipse, what was it, Adoptium, I think was the name they were going to go with. It's like Eclipse Adoptium or something. Anyway, so um, I think they're still going to do all the same things, produce all the builds um, and host them, but they're just going to be kind of financially supported and, and run by the Eclipse Software Foundation. So. Anyway, um, Command Box, as far as I know, that won't affect how Command Box interfaces with it and automatically downloads and installs JREs. But it's just interesting to see the, the Open, JDK, Open JDK community sort of kind of morphing a bit and consolidating and, you know, the bigger guys gobbling up some of the smaller ones. But hopefully it's all, all for the good. Cool. Uh, the number of respondents, by the way, on the state of the CF Union is 484. So I was incorrect. It's not over 500. Um, I think in some years we may have eclipsed 500, but... Well, maybe that's what we're waiting for. So 16 more people for, need yeah. to get out there and do it. 16 of you. <laughs> and then you'll have to, then you can hear us, uh, you know, we'll stop hearing us talk about this over and over and over again. So anyway, so that's our yep. news so far. Uh, I don't think we've um, missed anything else except one, for. We one a, final note. Sorry, real quick on Open JDK. Um, Charlie Earhart wanted to point out that um, while a lot of people that I know run Adobe ColdFusion on OpenJDK, which is based on the same code base as the Oracle JDK. Adobe only officially supports the Oracle JDK. So um, I don't know if that means if you go to Adobe for support and you say, hey, I'm using Amazon Coretto, Adobe says, good luck, we're not going to support you. I don't know what that would look like. Um, but for what it's worth, um, Adobe's official support is for the Oracle JDK, um, not any of the OpenJDK variants. So Good to know. Yeah, technicality, but you don't want it to bite you. If, if you have a support plan with Adobe, that may matter to them. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, uh, one other piece of news is about conference stuff, but I'll leave that till a minute or two into it. So you guys have to wait and see. Okay. So conferences. Um, into the Box workshops, as we said, are happening coming up soon and we have two in july that we've announced so i am leading the cold box zero to hero training on july 9 and 10 
Luis is leading the Cobalt Zero to Superhero API edition, and that is July 23 and 24. This is the one um, that was actually scheduled for in June, but uh, Luis had some, some things he had to take care of. He was unable to do it, so we had to postpone it. So if you got your tickets for that, it should still be good. Let us know if those dates do not work for you, but um, everybody else, you can go sign up for that. Um, that is now available. And so basically the way it works is we'll do two six-hour days. They'll be broken up to three-hour blocks and with a lunch break in between. They'll be nine to 12 central and then one to four central. So uh, we had someone in Australia. So if those times don't work for you guys, think about him. He had to get up at midnight to start the training and didn't finish till 7 a.m. So if he can make it work, I think you guys can make it work. <laughs> so... But uh, the tickets are available uh, online at autosolutions.com slash events. And we just released a blog post with new dates today. So on autosolutions.com. So if you want to go check that out. The price is $8.99. And I believe if you use the podcast 10 code, you can get 10% off. And if you're an ITB attendee, you should have got a, uh, you should have a code that'll get you 15% off. If you don't have that, you can email um, our support and we'll get that for you. So... But the big news is we found out a little bit more about Adobe Summit West. So no official announcement, no blog post, no nothing. But my super sleuth skills tells me that it's online. <laughs> so if you go to cfsummit.adobeevents.com, you'll see that they have now made it an online conference. Oh, and so I'm gonna the online conference. Let's so, meet online. Yep. So I'm going to share my screen here. That's probably as close to an official announcement as, as you could have at this point. Yep. So Adobe Cloud Fusion Summit, let's meet online, the online conference here. Um, but if you come down, I think there's some FAQs here. It sounds like it's going to be free. So the keynote and the breakout sessions will be for free. That's what it says here. Uh, again, this... Uh, this may be copied and pasted from the Cold Fusion Developer Week or something. I'm not sure because that was free. Usually the CF Summit uh, East is free and West has got a charge, but we'll find out. So um, right now the speakers and sponsors are last year's information. So, so the dates have been removed from the site. I don't yeah. see any dates. I the wonder if they're going to stick removed? with the original dates. Well, or my information it. says it's actually going to be in November now. So if you go to the... Well, I guess I'll show you. If you go to the coldfusion.adobe.com portal, so I said I had to do some investigation here to find out, but it has upcoming events. And so I'll show you that here for those who are watching. So if you see upcoming events, you'll see that there's the webinar on July 23rd, July 30th. And here we have a Cold, the Adobe Coldfusion Summit 2020. It's a conference in November. And it's oh. going to be online Pacific, I assume, for time zones. So there's no days or times, just, just November. November. Just so point. we'll find out more about it. Uh, and then we'll figure out, hopefully, from Adobe. We'll reach out to them and see if they have an official announcement. I'm sure there'll be something soon, but there's no official announcement lately. Uh, there's nothing on their tweets or, or Cold Fusion uh, Facebook account about it. So right now. Um, I'm curious if they're going to do a call for speakers or what? But the other news is Adobe Certified Professional Cold Fusion is now available online. And mm. so you can actually register for the certification online. So if you guys are looking at doing that, since they're not able to do it in, uh, as a pre or post workshop like they usually do, um, you can come here, register, find out more information about it all here. And so this is going to be in the show notes as well. So a little bit of interesting news there for the Adobe Cold Fusion Summit. Um, CF Camp, we still have no news. Um, we're not sure what they're going to be doing there. And of course, we'll keep you up to date as we find out more about uh, all the conferences. Uh, there are a lot of online conferences, uh, hard to keep up with. If you guys know of any that we should spotlight here, please let us know. But yeah, so that's pretty exciting. So I guess no travel for us, which is probably expected with the with the COVID numbers, I guess there's like 32,000 new cases yesterday. So, yeah, I'm going to say with the, the sort of, with the the uptick in cases again, I'm sure anybody that was sort of teetering on the edge of trying to decide about a, a late year conference probably is like, no, <laughs> yeah, unfortunate. As much as I like to do the traveling, 
Yeah, it's fun to see people in person. Online stuff is cool too, but you know it's nice to catch up with friends in person. Well, my coworkers, because since you and Eric and well, yeah, that's Luis, everyone's all over. This is like how conferences are the primary way that the Ortis employees even get to see each other because we're all remote. So I like I'm gonna go a whole year and not actually like see anybody in person that I work with. So yeah, because we usually try and I put mean, a retreat or something, some planning yeah. sessions around them, and you know. So, other than the fact that Gavin and I are clearly sitting at the same desk, you know, I mean, other than that, yeah, there's <laughs> still six feet, just six little, feet. yeah, yeah. We're, we're, you can't <laughs> see it, but we are socially distanced. This is a full six feet between us, yep, exactly, just like our big kids. Okay, <laughs> all right, so, blogs, tweets, videos of the week, yep. So, uh, this is the the first one is the Audis announcement here. So, this is basically about our workshop. So, if you go to the Audis Solutions site and see that here so uh, you can buy tickets now for the zero to hero and the hero to superhero so those two are available online find out a little more about it and then after that we actually have a blog from paul klinkenberg about the horror of is date in cold fusion lucy and did you get a chance to read this one because this was interesting um so, where's the link to it i'm trying to find it here oh the horror of his date. I don't think I saw this one. So he was messing around with some number formatting. And in part of their no, API. This just came out today. Yeah, as part of um, his number formatting, you know, he had a number that was formatted a certain way. Um, and then when they're outputting stuff in their API, part of their API formatting does an is date. And so if you had the right number, the right size number, uh, it would think it's a timestamp and therefore date format it. So he had these mm. weird things where is date was looking at certain things and formatting it and so it's pretty i mean it's tricky because it's like there's so many date formats that is date accepts yep. um you know and we'll say yeah that's a date that you know you get scenarios like he's found where you have a number that was just meant to be a number but it also meets the requirements that it could technically represent a date and that's kind of the the downside of a, of a language that uses, you know, strings essentially to represent all sorts of things, or even not even just strings. I mean, behind the scenes in, in Lucy, for instance, they're usually a Java link double, but. Oh, the, the best one I found when tricky. I'm, I'm formatting an API response, there's a, a medical company that I work with and one of their doctors is Dr. No. And so when you output that and you serialize <laughs> it, no. his name comes out as Dr. False. Because yeah. Cold Fusion formatted the note to a false. It's like it's a Boolean. So I have um, to it would be go interesting to have name. like a. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to have like a strict version of is date, or maybe like an is date where you could like specify like these are the only formats that I want to consider being a date. So some giant, you know, like long number. You're like, no, no, no. As far as I'm concerned, that's not a date. But you know, number slash number slash number or something like okay yeah that's a date i don't i don't know how Cold I mean, fusion would implement you would that think but. it would say can you do a check for is type of date and would that do it because this is essentially he's doing a, a date pass or a version of it underneath it so you wonder if you could do a is date check where you don't pass it it's just saying is it actually a date that you give it in you know but i don't know because i mean i assume dates are stored as date objects not date string because usually you have to pass a string to convert it so this one just does the passing automatically. So there should be a way to do a check that doesn't do the passing. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm sure that would be a good solution. But yeah. I don't know, because I'm also like, you know, contemplating, I mean, maybe you shouldn't be asking if things are dates in the first place. You know, like if you hit an API and you get JSON back, like you should know based on the documentation of the API, which properties are dates, and which properties aren't dates. And so, you know, you should be applying that logic to it. But I mean, that's easy to say. I'm sure there's probably still scenarios in which you have some sort of vagary in the data and you're trying to figure out what it is, but. Interesting. So I anyway, it's a good solution. Yeah. Had a good, good set of data there too. So if you want to, you know, look through it and compare, I thought it was pretty interesting. So. Yeah. I like the table he sure. has with all of the examples. Yeah. So it's like one eight one eight zero zero dot eight. Is a date? Am I reading this right? <laughs> It's pretty strange. Some of them really threw me. So, yeah, because I, you know, the dots. Some in some countries they use dots instead of slashes or dashes. So that could be considered a date. 
very weird. So, yeah. okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Next up, we have a blog post from Benley Dell. This one here, he's talking about using CF document and CF PDF to generate PDFs with different size pages. So is this something you've ever tried or is that too uh, um, designy for you? I usually have only had, um, sorry, I'm copying the link for the previous blog. I've usually only had PDFs with the same page size. Um, I'm pretty certain you can apply a page size to a document section. And I always assumed if I wanted to have different page sizes or different orientations, I would just have a different section and apply it to that. But it looks as though Ben may have been just combining individual PDFs. You mentioned that he's using yeah. CF document and CF PDF. Um, yeah. and so I assumed he's combining them. And that's, that's what I've done in the past too, is when you create the document, usually at the document level, you have the margins and you have the widths and stuff. I didn't know you could do it on the sections. It's quite possible, but you can see he's using tag islands here to use uh, tags inside of the scripts. <clears throat> so he's using the, the tag island feature, which is pretty cool to see that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely know you can do it at the page level. Uh, oh, maybe I'm wrong about level. the sections. Maybe I'm wrong. There are margins at the section, but not page widths and height. But yeah, there's not a there's not a height and width at the at the document section level. So I was wrong about that. Yeah. So you it pretty much like... what you have to do is when you're done, you go and uh, merge, and so you'll tell it to merge PDFs. Yeah. So you would have to generate completely different PDFs and then merge them together, which is basically what he's doing. Which is, I like uh, I like his code sample here. It's got some functional programming, some arrow functions going on. Yep, and as you can see nice. here, he's got an, a, a big array of um, some family members from uh, Brad's <laughs> side of the family. <laughs> yep, yeah, I, I recognize them from the family reunion. Yep, but uh, yeah, so different sizes, and it just loaded up the image, created the custom size off of that. So it's pretty neat, um, you know. It might be nice for photographers to be able to basically whip up a, a PDF of all their photos, which is, you know, they can protect it, lock it, stuff like that. That's so what's, and that's what they're using with Envision yeah. for some of this. So, What's more interesting to me than the whole PDF thing, because I don't really care that much about PDFs, is just some of the stuff that Ben did in this. Scroll here. Oh, no, put, put your screen share back up real quick. Um, okay. Scroll down to the bottom. Look at that with temp folder, a uh, little trick that he did. So he has a chunk of code that he wants to all happen inside of a temp folder. And he wants to make sure that he cleans up the temp folder. So normally you'd put the code to create the temp folder at the top and you'd put the code to clean up the temp folder at the bottom and you'd have to have a try and a catch. But if you scroll down to the very bottom of, the, of that code block, but wait, you'll see he, he's, this is a closure. Exactly right. So he has a with temp folder function that accepts a UDF or a callback as part of it. And so he abstracts all the logic of creating the temp folder, doing a try catch in case things go horribly wrong and the finally block that deletes it into its own little concern, this little with temp folder. And then he just passes a callback to this function and says, hey, here's a chunk of code that I want to run inside of a temp folder. And I want all the work of creation and cleanup to be a separate thing, which I think is a really clean way to program something as opposed to kind of littering that concern of the temp folder cleanup inside of the main function yeah the this is a really good is way really to readable isn't it yeah because the try catch would be would be like way far away there'd be you know dozens and dozens maybe hundreds of lines between the open and the close and so passing a udf around is a super convenient way to just run a chunk of logic inside of something that wraps it i think yeah. that's a super cool example yeah uh -huh. it just very cool. functional cold fusion programming yep bravo anyway man. good stuff no thanks for pointing that out i did notice it too when i was up here looking at the top i was scrolling down i saw it and i was like oh that's interesting and then i got on the bottom yeah. i'm like oh yeah that makes but it's super sense. readable though it's just with temp folder do this you yeah, know and then he's, you, even, he's even doing the get images dot h yeah so get images, you could you totally to reuse about. it yeah so the get images is another function here which goes through that directory list looking for stuff. So he's, you know, I kind of want to use that in that. command box in a few places. Now I have a lot of places in command box where I want to do a chunk of work in a temp folder. And I got to make sure I clean the stupid thing up. Um, and I have a lot of stupid little if statements. that's like, Oh, if something goes wrong, make sure you delete the temporary files. I might well, steal some bins. I'm stealing a bin. Great bin. Yep. <laughs> See, even though he's done a lot of angular lately, we still uh, learn a lot from his cold fusion. So even the great Brad can learn. <laughs> oh, absolutely. For sure. So very cool. This is another interesting one that Ben had. He had a few interesting ones this week, for sure. I mean, like 
I mean, more than normal, which I, I always appreciate as uh, blog content. But this one... You know, Ben, normally you're only slightly useful, but you've really been useful this no, week. No, I mean, this, <laughs> the quality stepped up, I think. Maybe it's just more appropriate for, for what I usually do. So this one here is using a tracer cookie to watch for browser downloads and prompts. And so this one was a report generation, and we've all done this, where basically you generate a report, you set the content disposition attachment, so when it's done, it'll basically download the file for you, right? And so previously he's done it where you pop open a new tab and then it generates, it takes a while sometimes, and then it gives you the, the download um, prompt. And so he looked at different ways to do this, and so he looked at using an iframe to sort of see when it's ready, so you can see if the, the event, you know, you can see when the actual, uh, file is ready and sort of give some type of notice then you also use a nested iframes and then the, the third one he used a tracer cookie so basically using a set interval to check to see if a cookie was created um, based on this old jquery plugin by john colvener but basically waiting for this cookie to be created because once it was done it would create the cookie to say hey i'm done and so his all in the whole process you can see a little animated gif down the bottom here a lot of code but basically when you click it, it will pop up a little thing saying, oh, we're generating it, you know? And so that way it's not just sitting there waiting. Is it working? Is so, it not working? All right, so basically he used the cookies the browser had stored for a site as a sort of shared storage space for two different browser pages to be able to communicate back and forth. So a separate browser page pops up, downloads a report that also happens to set a cookie. The first page is waiting for that cookie to pop up in the context of the cookies that the browser tracks for that site. And when it sees that, it knows the other the other window is done with this work. Yeah, the JavaScript can read it and then get rid of the window. Yeah, I never thought about using cookies um, yeah, I mean, for I've... two different windows all hitting the same site to be able to know that one had done something else. That's kind of a clever idea. Yeah, and so it's pretty interesting. And he says it's a proof of concept that he's been working on. And he's not even sure if he likes it anymore. But yeah, like I said, I, I really enjoyed this one because, I mean, I've messed with... Uh, iframes and nested iframes and trying to mm -hmm. deal with communicating across them and some things working yeah. in some browsers and some don't and there's all sorts security of security stuff, stuff makes that a total pain so i'm cookies, curious if all browsers well, treat cookies the same like um, do all browsers instantly make cookies available in one tab that's already loaded even if the cookie was set in another tab on the same domain i'm curious if all browsers do that if this you know instantly updates yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. I know I've been dealing with a lot of cookies trying to get, um, you know, a lot of front ends to communicate with back ends and call fusion sessions and try and keep things alive right. and pass so data. So Ben, I'm trying to see if Ben mentions, he mentions Chrome, Firefox, and Safari. Yeah. Did he bottom. specifically, I'm curious if he tested with all of them. He didn't test with Microsoft Edge. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, really, really good blog post. Like I said, a lot of good ideas coming from this um and you know that's one of those things when you're generating reports and we've all built those but sometimes they can take you know a long time and there's no progress or, or anything there's no you're not sure is it broken is it working did it not do anything you know so i thought it was pretty cool so yeah, really i actually have i actually have a client site i could use that on <laughs> yep uh, like like this thinking through that like i have that exact scenario where I could use something like that, where a user clicks a link, I gray out the link because the stupid users whack it like seven times. And it's like, please wait, you horrible, you know, impatient buffoons. And then I have no way to like turn the link back on once the actual downloads complete. And this is, this is actually a way that I could do that. But I don't have a workaround for that right now. The link's just dead until you refresh the page. Oh yeah. Thanks Ben. <laughs> You're full of ideas for me today. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to send you an invoice for consulting. <laughs> yeah, does, does Ben have a Patreon? <laughs> so next is the the five-year anniversary of Slack that we mentioned before by Mingo Hagen. And he wanted to say thanks to a few admins, and some of them are former, like Sean Caulfield, Adam Cameron, Ryan Gould, uh, is it Dan Skaggs? Yeah. Um, Pete Freitag and uh, John Sound Wish. like you said dance gags. Like when you do yeah. gags out on the dance floor. <laughs> no, that's not it. But anyway, of course, is a you know, Sean was like, "Wow, it's five years; it's flown by." But you know, he's he hasn't logged in for quite a while. Obviously, he's moved on. He's asking if it's still pretty. No, I actually ran across Sean Corfield in a, in a completely unrelated programming Slack team the other day. I think it was the Exorcism one, maybe. Oh, really? He cool. popped up, and I'm like, Sean. Small yeah. world, I guess, and 
sometimes even in the greater programming world. Yeah, for sure. So again, five years, it's pretty cool and I'm glad it's still kicking on. And I think I saw <laughs> a message the other day when I was in the, the box channel and it said, Brad, that's your 31,000 message or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> if you've been talking every, you know, every three seconds or whatever you've been talking in the slack channel for 38 days or something stupid like, uh yeah, yeah. It, it's always uh <laughs> it's always wildly under on its um on its you know like time of how much time you spent It'd be like you, know, you spent two days I'm like oh it's a lot more than two days friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh one of brad's weaknesses slack channels everywhere it's funny because you won't respond to my slack messages but if i go into the cold fusion chat and say, say something he'll respond there well, <laughs> I have to like work through them sometimes. Now you get up in the morning and all my Slack teams are just like a thousand unreads everywhere. And you're like, oh, so you just like start at the top and just start working through them all. And meanwhile, like 10 teams down, you're like, oh, that one was pretty important. But, you know, like they all look the same. They're all just little red dots or white dots somewhere. And, you know, it's, it's not like a priority. I almost wish I could have a priority where it's like if a certain person tags me a certain channel, like that needs to be like a bigger notification than just random tags and cfml slack of people you know having conversations but i don't know there's no good way to make sense of it all yeah well dan card mentioned in the chat that he appreciates all of it so yeah i know that <laughs> there's a lot of help from you know all of us oldest team members try to help out but brad seems to find more time in the day than other people to do it and he still gets his work done i blame the coffee that's probably Possibly. the only reason you can do it but yeah so next on our list, we have uh, Matthew Clemente. So this one, he's speeding up his shell. Oh my, this, uh, is it Z-Shell? How do you pronounce it? I don't know. Z-Shell. Okay. But uh, he said it's felt a little laggy for a while. Um, so he basically wanted to put on some work into cleaning it up, sh you know, shaving some load time off and whatnot. And so basically, you know, he had uh, a little sit up and sort of walk this way through it. So it's a nice long post. So if you guys are using a Z shell, um, he's got a really detailed blog post here on how to look for ways to speed it up and profiling and everything. So not something I use, but, uh, still sounded really inf informative. So that's pretty cool. I don't yep. use Z shell. I think that's only a, a plugin for iTerm on Mac, unless I'm incorrect, but yeah, that's I know I that several people at Ordis use it. Because the the bullet train prompt and command box that I made is a total ripoff right <laughs> from the the Z shell uh, plugin. Yeah, we we only rip off the good stuff. Mm, speaking of good stuff, uh, we already have some feedback on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if if Tony is uh, is in the podcast listening right now. He might be, um, but we already have some feedback regarding um, stuff that people want to see on CF cast. He replied to one of your tweets, Kevin. So cool. Um, Tony Jinka says he wants to see some kind of advanced cold box series uh, to run into the current series, but he wants to see stuff that goes deeper, especially regarding version six and what is bringing like asynchronous functionality. So, yeah, I think we should definitely have a, good feedback. a big series on cold box six. There's a lot of great stuff in there. And Luis has done a lot of work in the, the nuts and bolts of it. So he's probably the one that'll have to do it, but maybe that'll be a good excuse for one of us to dive in there and uh, get to the bottom of it and figure it out too. So, um, you know, one of the best ways to learn something is to do like a webinar or a talk or a video on it. Cause you, you have, to have to dig in enough to where you would understand it, to be able to explain it to somebody else. And you, you learn a lot in the process. That's for sure. Yep. For sure. Okay, so next on our list, we had a tweet from uh, Brad Wood about heavy Java creation issue in Lucy 5. What? So I know we're working on a client, and you uh, you found some pretty interesting uh, speed issues, and you managed to speed them up dramatically. I did, yeah. This, this culminated in a ticket I created in the Lucy bug tracker, which I titled, uh, Class Loading from OSGI Bundles is 27,000 times slower. Um, <laughs> that's I know, it, and that's that's an actual number. Um, now the thing is, uh, class loading is twenty seven thousand times slower. But loading a class from just the the kind of system class loader is it, something that takes like nanoseconds. Um, so you know, being twenty seven thousand times slower than a few nanoseconds is still pretty fast. Um, but yeah, we we've had a client that had a, a site on Lucy that has heavy Hibernate usage, heavy CBRM usage, and CBRM is, you know, kind of a wrapper around all these Hibernate classes. So it does a lot of create object Java. Um, and then it creates these, you know, these Hibernate classes. 
And in Lucy 4, before the OSGI revolution, everything was all just dumped in one big lib folder, including Hibernate. So you had one class loader that just loaded all the classes out of a lib folder. And so loading a class was very, very fast and easy. Um, and apparently the, the class loading from OSGI has slowed down a bit. And I say a bit, you know, it takes like 10 milliseconds, you know, to, to do create object Java and point to a class that's being loaded via OSGI. And I have a feeling, just my guess, that's related to Lucy it has a big collection of OSGI bundles and has to go over all of them and say, hey, do you have this class? Hey, do you have this class? Hey, do you have this class? Until it finds, finds a class loader that can actually provide it. So, you know, 10 milliseconds is still like pretty fast. But if you have um, a request, a ColdFusion request on Lucy that, you know, does create object Java maybe a thousand times, that's like 10 seconds. That's 10 like solid seconds of just class loading when you multiply, um, you know, 10 milliseconds a thousand times. And that's exactly what was happening on this on this client side of ours is um, ever since they've been on Lucy 5, their site had just been a little bit slower, but it was an API. So it wasn't really stuff people hit in the browser. People weren't quite like directly experienced and it was just slowing down to their automated processes they had. But they had they were having these requests taking 10, 15 seconds. And I was able to, to trace using the Fusion Reactor profiler. I, I never would have found this without the Fusion Reactor profiler feature, a little ding for that. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I profile these slow requests and the requests are just sitting around loading classes all the time. I'm like, what is up with this class load, class load all over the place? And I, I started looking at the stack traces and all the class load calls were south of a line of code in ColdFusion that was always create object Java, which is all, which of course was coming from CBO over M and its reliance on creating these Java classes. And so I did some, some quick timing tests and I was like, oh my gosh, it turns out like it's way slower, you know, a few milliseconds, but significantly slower to load these Java classes via OSGI. And it was just kind of adding up in this particular combination of application. Um, and so I, I put in a ticket, but the workaround was very interesting. Um, what a lot of people don't know about Create Object Java, um, and I learned this from Sean Corfeld actually uh, back in the day, is when you do Create Object Java, it doesn't actually hand you back um, an instance of a Java class or even just the class itself. It hands you back a Java proxy, which is a class that kind of wraps around it. And the proxy can either create instances of that Java class or can allow you to call static methods on it. And what's cool is you can do a single create object Java and get a uh, proxy back and you can call dot init on it multiple times. And you'll get back a fresh instance every time. And the overhead, the class loading overhead was only in the initial creation of that Java proxy. You could create instances of that class with virtually no overhead. Um, so my workaround in, this, in that application was to cache the result of the create object Java calls uh, in the application scope, because that was a convenient place to put it. So I would only call that once and cache that. And then we would just reuse that Java proxy object and call dot init to get an actual instance out of it whenever we needed it. Um, and mm. the performance of that particular application increased by tenfold. Like literally the average request time went from five seconds down to 500 milliseconds. Um, so what about all the from just the overhead? So. I guess well, so the, the class was... loading itself is 27,000 times slower, but I mean, that's, you still only 10 milliseconds per, per one. So the, the way it manifests itself in the actual application performance, is obviously only a portion of what's happening. Um, so, I mean, this, this affected this particular application due to the fact the application heavily relied on creating Java classes. If you create a couple of Java classes in your code here and there with create object, you probably wouldn't even notice it. Not a big deal which is why I think a lot of people have never noticed it, but this particular application, the libraries it used, it had over 200 ORM calls per hit on some pages, really complex stuff, pulling data from all over the place. Um, and so the, the profile of how the application worked, it was just getting, you know, kicked in the butt every time it would try to run with all this class loading stuff. So, so it was what, a very interesting find. Yeah. So saved oodles of seconds so pretty oodles of for this particular app it did save oodles of seconds um i i told the the client i was in, i was in a billing based on how much time there i saved with their app processing so it would be 10 times the normal rate they, they laughed i don't think they took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah the, i mean my two big takeaways are fusion reactor profiler which is part of fusion reactor ultimate would have and never would have found this without that, first of all. Second of all, if you think, oh, I wonder if this is affecting me, it may not, it may be. Open up Fusion Reactor, profile your slow request, 
and you'll know if it's affecting you or not because it could be out. completely unrelated. Yeah, I mean, don't go through and you know change the code in your app because you think this might be affecting you. You actually have to use you know a tool like Fusion Reactor and, and find out the root cause before you start randomly changing stuff. That's a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, <laughs> sure. randomly changing things without actually knowing what the problem is is yeah, something I just get like. Some, get some data for sure. Yep, get the data. Cool. Well, next we have a, a, a blog post from Julian Hallowell. This is as simple as possible, as complex as necessary. So <laughs> loading like Java libraries dynamically in Lucy without Java Loader. So mm -hmm. this one here uh, talks about some different options, um, you know, but obviously ColdFusion, we love the ability to use Java underneath. Uh, and he says he's not a Java developer and he basically wants to keep it simple. And so, you know, something simple like DNS lookup, you'd have to basically use something from Java to do so. Um, you know, the best thing about it is, you know, you can use it different ways. And so here he sort of goes over the different ways of doing it using the libpath or Java loader or using this Java settings. Uh, and then sort of looking through, but he talks about class clashing as well. So it was pretty good. Like, you know, mm -hmm. OSGI bundles, oh man, this, so he really went into some detail on all the different pieces. And I use a little bit of Java, but to be honest, most of the modules I use they already have it all taken care of, you know. That's one thing about ForgeBox, those modules have uh, all the all the information you need, it has the Java files and they're connected up. And so most of the time you don't have to connect them yourself. But uh, if you wanna learn yeah. more about how it all works, uh, it goes through pretty good detail. Um, yeah, and it is important that this is Lucy specific in this blog post. Unfortunately, well, it's not unfortunate for Lucy people. Unfortunately for Adobe ColdFusion users, um, you're missing out on a lot of functionality Lucy provides. Uh, one of the, you know, the biggest ones is being able to provide jar files directly to create object and saying, hey, create a, you know, a Java class and, you know, here's the jar file I want you to pull it from. And of course, obviously in, you know, the, the current stable releases of ColdFusion, there's no concept of OSGI, loading classes and bundles. So yeah. um, Lucy has a lot of options, um, which unfortunately just don't exist in ColdFusion. But I'm always hopeful that we'll get some of those in, uh, in upcoming versions of ColdFusion. Yep. So as you guys are listening from Adobe, uh, check this blog post out, get some ideas on what to, to add to the, the system. So very cool. Okay. Well, it was a pretty short week for blog posts and stuff this week. Um, so that's our blog posts. We do have a little information on the job search. So right now there's new, no new postings from this last week, but there's still 45 Dang. positions posted on the zero yes. new jobs. Um, there's someone on the cold fusion Facebook group this morning that was posting, um, some job related stuff. It yeah. appeared to be maybe a government thing. I'm not sure. Uh, it was a, they call they call it a contest, but it's not a contest. It's where you have to put forth bids. You know, this is how we would approach the project and they'll, they'll choose the best one. Um, but yeah, that was on one of the, the popular uh, Facebook Cold Fusion groups, if you're not a part of those. Yeah, I don't know if I saw that one or not, or I would have added it here. But there are 45 jobs available on the Get CFML Jobs website. Uh, I think there was five from last week, so not this week just gone, but the week before. And some of those are still open. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely check that out, getcfmljobs.com. And then, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the LinkedIn group has over 8,000 members and there's several cold fusion groups on Facebook and quite a lot of times people are looking for contractors or, you know, looking for people. Um, so those are other ways to, to get that information. Ooh, I just got a pull request for command box. Hey, Lucky pay, day. Pay attention. <laughs> Forge what? box module of the week. People are sending me pull requests, Gavin. It's Matt Clemente. So our Forgebox module of the week this week is actually a new one by Gary Stanton. So this one uh, mm. is Utrust. And so- Oh yeah, I, I retweeted that earlier this week. I just saw it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so Utrust CFML provides a wrapper for the Utrust Crypto Payments API. And so you can get your key from utrust.com and it's got some documentation there. But basically this gets you up and running uh, with your own crypto payment option um, pretty easily. And so, I'm just going to bring up the, the site and show you. I never even heard of it, to be honest. So I know that there's a lot more coming out all the time with payment options and everything else. And I, I'm not saying you guys should go use it because I have no, no idea who they are or what they're doing. But just looking here, I mean, it looks nice and clean. Um, you know, some, some good options. They've got a lot of different digital currencies, um, but apparently it's good for business nice. and for personal. 
So it's yeah, it's a definitely an interesting option. So so I'm kind of curious how it works. Like, I mean, if you so if you accept Bitcoin in your site, does you trust basically just like deposit regular U.S. dollars or whatever the heck you know dollars into your account? out of it or do they have like a, a cryptocurrency credit that you can cash out i'm curious how that works yeah i mean that's the thing it's got a whole bunch of digitals um yeah there's a lot so how of... long before cf casts allow cryptocurrency <laughs> well that's Put those bitcoins to good use kids yeah i mean it's it's interesting i mean any major digital currencies can be used um i'll be honest i don't follow them close enough to even no more than two or three of them but yeah it's pretty cool so but yep yeah, so that one should get you up and running pretty quickly and as i mentioned it is up on forgebox it's under you trust cfml mm-hmm. so you can know you more. trust <laughs> so there's an examples folder there for you ready so you got examples of an order mm-hmm. and, a, and a response and there's a couple of models here so the stores model is a singleton used to create your order and the webhook model is a transient used to process the payload returned by the utrust order callback. And it can be used standalone or as a cold box module. So, I like that. Yep. Get the nice. cold box goodness and also the standalone functionality. Yep. So here you got your, you know, your totals, you got your line items, just an array of items. Pretty straightforward. Um, so yeah, not, a, not too complicated. It looks like nice clean code. So looks like a good module. So if you're looking to maybe dive into some cryptocurrencies and uh, looking taking some payments, maybe this is one you can look at. And then Gary Stanton, as I said, is the the author of that wrapper there. So pretty cool. Okay, next up we have uh, VS Code hints, tips, and tricks of the week. And this one got a lot of attention this last week. Not from you, Brad, because I know you don't care. But uh, I saw you guys talking about it. You did all okay. jumping up and down in the Slack team, talking so, about how it changed your life. So Tailwind <clears throat> is a popular new CSS framework. Well, I guess it's not that new, but uh, Adam Webham uh, is the creative of this, and they've got a lot of great products. But the Brad Cornis, I think, is one of the their actual first development um, hires. No and relation. So, yeah. <laughs> but um this is basically an intelligent tailwind css tool for vs code and so everyone's pretty excited um in the tailwind world because now we have tailwind intelligence so when you start typing out your classes you'll actually see visually the colors for the different options for this type of stuff oh, nice. um that has you know autocomplete syntax highlighting linting or built-in uh, and it's pretty amazing from what it sounds like. You just set up your, um, make sure you have Tailwind installed and you have your Tailwind configuration file. Uh, and hopefully that even works with prefixes too, because I know some of our projects we use prefixes so we can use Tailwind on top of an existing CSS framework. Um, but yeah, nice autocomplete here is shown an example of being able to choose you know, red background, um, for example, with the colors included. Uh, linting in here as well to highlight possible errors. Talking, you know, says utility is not a valid group. Do you mean utilities uh, and stuff like that? So, some pretty cool linting and the hover preview for something is pretty neat too. So, you can actually find out more about it uh, just by hovering over it. Uh, you know, CSS syntax highlighting as well. And there's some settings as well, but it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, Eric is over the moon. Luis loves it already. Uh, we're, we're becoming big Tailwind fans over here at Autis and uh, some of our clients are too. So pretty, pretty cool little plug in there. Uh, it's already got 100,000 installs almost in less than a week. So not bad, but uh, definitely a, a pretty cool plug in there. And hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more from the Tailwind team. So Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you haven't seen it already, uh, Tailwind UI is a is a great uh, product out there as well. And if you're not sure if you like Tailwind or not, definitely check this out. Um, basically, beautiful UI components crafted by the creators of Tailwind's CSS. So here, B E A beautiful. Yep, um, a lot of great things. And what they basically did is created components. And the the nice thing about it is that they, they give you the HTML because all of this is just HTML with classes. Uh, and so they've got a lot of good components here and you can just see the code. 
Um, and it may take a little while to get used to this utility type setup, but once you get the hang of it, it's it's great. Uh, and they have some um, some great videos on the Tailwind um, website as well. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of awesome components. So you don't have to worry about things. And maybe this would be good for you, Brad. If you want to do an FAQ page, you can just use one of theirs. If you need to do a newsletter section, you could use that. Uh, they have all these different components for different things. Um, and you basically plug on the HTML and away you go. So uh, Tailwind's pretty awesome. And they're doing a lot of work with that. And they've, they've created books. They've got the UI components here. Uh, so Tailwind. How does Tailwind make money? Who, well, who owns them? Adam Wavin um, is the creator of Tailwind. And he basically just did it um, to start with, basically just because he wanted something to do what he wanted. But he has his own uh, podcast as well. Um, so he has a podcast, which he is obviously making money. But to be honest, he doesn't do sponsorship anymore. He's just doing Tailwind UI. Uh, but they also wrote hmm. a book. Him and Steve Stroger uh, wrote a book about design. Uh, and they sold that. And I know that they hit, uh, they made over a million dollars from selling the book. And wow. Very shortly. And they entail when you why they've they made. Hey Gavin, you want to write a book? <laughs> uh, well, they have pretty huge audiences. Uh, you know, they have refactoring UI, which is a, a video series that shows them basically taking a UI and transforming it. Uh, Adam Webham and C Shark got a lot of great content, and they've built up huge audiences. But yeah, they they basically the releases are million dollar releases, and so now they have the luxury of doing what they want and you know working. I on like what they the want. sound of that. Yeah. Imagine what you would do. I mean, this goes to our listeners. Like if you made a million dollars writing a book, like what kind of code projects would you just work on? You know, like you don't have to worry about making money or like, oh, I've always wanted to try to build, you know, X, Y, Z. I mean, I can think of stuff I'd play with if I didn't have to worry about making money with it. CF Nap, is that a library that helps you sleep, Dan? Dan Card said CF Nap in the chat here. So <laughs> he's going to take a CF Nap. Yep just on the tailwind thing a little more so refactoring ui um so that's a design for developers book and so it's put together from the developer's point of view but made pretty by uh steve shirkers um he helped design tailwind's default design system so that's the book that they created um and that's then, the million dollar book yep um but we, they also, we need a million dollar book gavin it would be nice but again on the tailwind <laughs> site uh the resources designing with tailwind so this is sort of the a video screencast series which is free highly recommend going through all this it has you know setting it up and you know building it talking about designing different things and you build it from scratch you basically build this little site from scratch for all the components and um it's it sort of talks about why he did built it this certain way and you know this sort of the thought process and everything and working with you now as well vue.js it just really helps to build on top of it so yeah can't say enough good things about it so cool i think we need a cf cast uh, series on tailwind well you just point them there but uh <laughs> but that's definitely a you know a good idea hey, if you want to make a million bucks you got to come up with some ideas that are going to sell <laughs> yeah but i mean what if we outbook their book you write a book on tailwind that's better than the tailwind book like <laughs> sup two million dollar book boom that would be nice what would you do without my ideas man Yep, maybe we'll write a book about how to come up with ideas about writing books. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, last on our list this week is our Patreon supporters. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, we're about almost 50% supported just from Patreon alone. So we'd like to thank everybody who's uh, financially supporting us through Patreon. And you can find out more about our Patreon services on patreon.com slash autosolutions. Uh, for those watching, I'll share the Patreon site here. As you can see, there's different options, starting for as little as $10 a month for a box supporter. Uh, and then we have a lot of different levels. And so we have almost 30 Patreons. And like I said, we're at 48% of our goals that would basically fully support our podcast here. So we're hoping to get that up to 100%. And then that allows us to spend more of our, our time and money uh, helping the other open source products that we've built, like Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Contact <coughs> Box, Test Box, and all the other box products. Box Box. Yep. So. Uh, Net Box for Dan Card. Net Box. <laughs> sleep is a big topic for having a three year old Dan. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish my kids would take more sleep when they're older than three. 
but uh anyways so let's thank all of our patreon supporters again thanks everyone for making a financial uh donation to us and we want to thank ben Adele, brett deline calvin Stanton, charlie earhart dali dan card daniel garcia david ballinger Didia Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Jan Yannick, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamry, Kai Koenig, Laxma Terahari, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Ryan Hughes, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Oden, Stephen Klotz, Synaptrix, and Yogesh Mithur. So you're all awesome. should be listed up on the autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors page. And if you guys are looking to just add yourself to that list check out the patreon.com slash auto solutions page but we're thankful for everyone who supports us in financial and non-financial ways so thank you to everyone else who makes pull requests like matthew Clemente just did for brad um documentation <laughs> updates issuing and filing bugs it all helps but uh we want to say a special thank you to those patron supporters pledging their hard-earned money every month to, to help us and we really appreciate that so yep thank you guys so much so can you believe it 2020 we're almost halfway done with this crazy year <laughs> only halfway yeah what's oh next? man it's like when you're in like a, a class or a wedding or something this is dragging on and you're like oh hopefully it's done and you look at your watch you're like oh my gosh only halfway through <laughs> yeah exactly yeah funnily enough me and my wife were talking about how 2020 is going to be like a, a term you use to talk about a crazy person or nuts thing i'm like oh man that girl is so 2020 2020, she's gone crazy Mm, we need to make that happen yeah turn it into an adjective basically it will be i'm sure it needs to be gavin quit being so 2020 yep so much for hindsight being 2020 yeah nobody wants to be 2020 now i think optimus just going to rename 2020 to be a different a different number now it's been sullied yep exactly but anyway so enjoy the last day of june And then uh, we'll catch you all next month, next week. (laughs) All right. Have a good one, everybody. Laters. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.